Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Sean Lay, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. I am extremely excited to pick your brain because um, if, if you don't mind me saying, and I hope you don't take this as an insult because I mean it as a compliment, you might be Jeff. one of the most underrated artists on Instagram because <laughs> your work is... I'll take it as a compliment. It is. It's, it's, uh, I mean, your work is so sophisticated and you just don't have enough followers to to just i mean it just blows my mind how that whole algorithm works you're not painting enough details of eyes or something for for instagram yeah i i, I don't quite get it myself instagram is obviously a really important tool um not even a t honestly without instagram i wouldn't be doing art as in i not i don't do art for instagram but without the the um you know the the interest or the clients or anything like this, I don't think I would have found my way back into the art world. So really? it's a really important, yeah. Um, so it's a very important tool for me. Um, like most people, I've got quite a fractious relationship with it. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it, I, I, I think I have, yeah, I, I don't know why um, maybe the following isn't as large as other painters. Um, but then again, I do find that my work maybe doesn't sit neatly uh, in with with kind of other other work necessarily. So maybe there's just you know it's not recognizable as one of the more popular strands of art that people want to follow or are interested in. Yeah, it's I don't know why. Uh, well, you're not the only one. <laughs> there are others, you know, because I I as a multi-figure painter myself, and obviously you do a lot of multi-figure painting. I follow a lot of multi-figure painters and I, f I'm, I find that a lot of them are underappreciated on social media. And I honestly believe it's because of that, like people want that fix. They want to see the detail. They want to see the little, yeah. little pieces of a painting. And when you, I, and so the multi-figure, I mean, I know some others, I'm not going to mention their names. <laughs> These are the guys who don't have enough showing, you know, a following on Instagram. I'm not going to say that, but there are, there are so many others that are just incredible. And, um, and they don't have tens of or hundreds of thousands of followers. Like a lot of the, a lot of other artists do that are doing details of eyes all day long, you know? Anyway, yeah. I tell you that because it's just, your work is just so unbelievably sophisticated I just Thanks. feel like everyone in the world should know about what you're doing. And I'm grateful to be interviewing you right now. Um, I honestly, Jeff, it was funny because um, I was talking to Ruth Fitton maybe a couple of months ago and, um, and uh, you know, we were talking about, we, we met, we talked about you briefly and it was one of those things I'm like, oh, Jeff, Jeff Hines work. It's, so, it's one of these things that, Again, you're a multi-figure painter, and I've been aware of you for quite some time. And I was just um, 
the you know even the day before I got your email, I was like, oh, it'd be so it'd be so cool to be on his podcast. It'd be so cool oh, to I'm chat glad. with him, you know. And, and but it was just in my head. I was like, oh, but oh well, maybe you know, maybe one day. And then you know, you emailed the next day. Like, yeah, great. the next day. Uh, are you kidding? That is yeah. crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, so well, was, yeah. Um, well, you've yeah, been on my list since I started way back in July. You've been on my list. I'm oh, working wow. my way through. So you've yeah. got you've I yeah you've had fantastic people. Oh man, I've been really blessed. Fantastic artists on this. It is really great what you're doing with this podcast. It is. I, I mean, I have it on when I'm painting. It's because I find 80% of it's all kind of audible. Yeah. And yeah. then I'll stop and come back to the, the visual parts of it uh, at certain points and, and really just kind of sit back and see, you know, the precision of what people are talking about and, um, you know, with the, with the added visuals. It's just it's such a fantastic medium. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I shouldn't admit this, but, you know, I try and tolerate my own voice because I'm lucky being the one who asked the questions that, you know, I get to poke and prod and learn the things I want to learn. Right. So I find yeah. myself watching certain podcasts over and over again. And what yeah. I do, because, uh, I want to, I want to really think about what this artist said and really try and understand it with depth. And uh, so there are certain ones I'll just stick my phone next to my easel. And then, like you said, and when when they say something or refer to a painting or something, then I can just glance down and look at it. But for the most part, most of it is really dialogue, you know. But it's nice to be able yeah. to look down every now and then when they mention an artist or whatever. Yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah. It's been a huge blessing to me to be able to talk to artists like yourself. So, oh, Well, well done for doing it and well done for making it so good. <laughs> Thanks. Could, I appreciate that. It could that. be done and be really not that great. I appreciate that. Um, so the first question I usually ask, and I'm gonna I'm gonna postpone for a minute, but we'll come back to it. Usually it's how did you get started? But I wanna I wanna learn more about this Instagram thing because my career is not on Instagram at all. You know, I have no business on social media whatsoever. And so you're so lucky. Well, I don't know. I mean, I might be. When were you born? Do you mind me asking? Uh, 1983. Okay, so you're nine years younger than me. Maybe I mean, when I started my career, there was no social media. So I kind of got my career going before social media. But I'm really curious about you. Like, how are you? What does your business look like if social media is your main marketing tool? I don't. I can't well, even picture that. Yeah, I think. I think a way to maybe understand it is is to understand my passage through the arts because even though i started like a lot of artists i was uh really into it from a very young age i mean one of my earliest memories of of talking i think it was to a, some stranger or out camping and she you know asked what i wanted to do and it was adamantly a, a, i want to be an artist or a writer and i was i, I was just set on it and that continued through my primary school years, my high school years, got into oil painting around 16. Um, and then things didn't work out. And I ended up, you know, for almost 20 years, not having anything to do with painting per se or the fine arts per se. And I went into a completely different field, the different like, things totally unrelated to art. And then started to do it again as a 
there's this thing of like, well, I'm always going to make art. I love making it. I'm just going to make the things I want to make. And I spent three years on a single painting. And then just a friend said, you know, maybe you should have an Instagram account and show some people what you're doing. And then people started to get interested and people started to buy the work. And it got to this point where uh, not too long ago, actually, only about a year and a bit where I had to make this call. Do I leave the profession I'm preparing to enter now and go into the arts um, or not? And it was really because a few collectors started to collect my work and they gave me the income to survive. And so I've been a full-time artist for just over a year now. No kidding. Uh, yeah, and so even though, you know, my the history of me and art in my own life goes all the way back to my young years, um, a lot of the professional years that people of my generation would have spent going going through school, go, like getting into competitions and getting their names built, I was completely absent. I wasn't doing any of it. Uh, and so as I stand now, it's, you know, I the only way people have found me even i'm i'm guessing yourself is is through is through social media otherwise i have no awards or no i've got no education i've got no in the art world i've got i've, I've got no bona fides whatsoever uh and so uh yeah that i, wow. I don't know there, there's a bit of the the history of of how i've my relationship with art but it could also explain why instagram's important because when i came back to it I really only had um, my interest in painting and the fact that I was painting and then, you know, broadcasting that in a sense on, on Instagram. Uh, and then, yeah, some people took notice. Uh, like you said, it's not hundreds of thousands of people and nor do I, you know, I'm... I, well, apparently uh, you don't need 100,000 people to... Well, yeah, it, it's been, it's so far it's provided some amazing opportunities in terms of you know, people being interested enough to, you know, subsidize my artistic existence and also to connect with other artists. That's, it's uh, social networking, you know, the old phrase for social media is I've been blown away by the power of Instagram and this. I have quite regular contact with painters from around mainly North America, but, I, you know, um, and we'll chat and we'll talk technique and we'll, and we'll critique each other's compositions or something like this. And, and it's really uh, inducted me into a, a kind of community that I've never had. Um, and I'm ravenous at the moment. I'm kind of, I, I, I'm just like collecting people. I'm like, yes, Jeff, great. I can't believe I get to talk to <laughs> Jeff. This is. Uh, <laughs> well, I was just going to say, add uh, me to your list. I want to stay in touch and, and, and you know, oh, help each other out. Man, here we've, got there. A lot, we've got a lot to talk about in terms yeah. of big compositions and uh yeah yeah well you answered my first question answering my second question so um I, yeah. so now i know a little bit about where you came from as well so but as far as these collectors go i mean did these people just reach out to you through messaging and say hey i want to buy a painting and then continue to support you is that how it went down literally um some friends of mine who uh of me and my wife uh, bought the first big painting that I did. It's a big wave painting with a whole lot of monkeys on a raft. I don't yeah, know if that one's incredible. Amongst the... Yeah, and that I spent three years on that. Not solid, I mean, but it, it, that was, I think that was my education. <laughs> yeah. Know? My, uh, 
And you How know, big they, was it? Uh, oh, I'm so bad with sizes. I um, actually l- tried to find out the other day. It's big. Well, uh, like, it's on Masonite. So is it as uh, tall as you? As long as you? <laughs> is it the size of a yeah, juniper it's, tree? It, it's a, it, <laughs> I have no idea what a juniper <laughs> I don't tree either. is. I'm just um, it's yeah, <laughs> it's as long as me. Um, okay, about six feet. Not, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and but with MDF panel, which is what I paint on, there's a real limitation to size. So you can't go as large as canvases without having to stitch boards together. And at that point, the weight of these things is just uh, quite um, cumbersome. Uh, so that was kind of pushing them the maximum size that I, I could paint at. And since then, I haven't quite painted to that size, but within within the ballpark of 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 that. But anyway, these um, friends purchased the piece, um, and really uh, that was the beginning. And since then, uh, some collectors have have contacted me privately and purchased pieces, and um, and then there was a, I did a couple of exhibitions, which are always, in my experience, is financially ruinous. And, you know, people, people bought some pieces and then they've come back and, and you know, um, been interested in newer ones. Uh, so there's a little, there's a little staple of, of people who are, I, I call it my short, short list. They, they kind of have dibs on the paintings. So when I'm done, I show them first. If, if they want to buy it, it's theirs. Uh, and if not, it, it kind of goes into the wider world. Um, hmm. So you basically have patrons. Yeah. It's like it's it's like the old school way, but with social media, you've got your own patrons. Yeah, yes, in a way, and the works, it, it the works almost need that kind of economic or demand that kind of economic model because they're so large, they're so cumbersome, they take me so much time, they're so risky. Uh, in that I have no idea whether people are going to want this thing. Um, and that could be a quarter of my year or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year I did two paintings. Yeah, and, and I have to live. I've got a family. I've got all these kind of things. And so patrons, you know, are hugely important to me because they really do um, sw- kind of come down from on high and save the day. <laughs> Uh, yeah. in, in one, in, in you know, one purchase or, you know, something. Yeah. Well, you are in the same boat. I do only a couple paintings a year as well. So I can uh, relate to you there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I see your, um, you know, even the work that you've been doing, the, um, the details of the, the Christ painting, you know, the amount of time you spend, I really, I, yeah, I just identify with that. Yeah. Yeah. They take a while, but part of it is, um, Part of it is just, I have lots of interests, <laughs> yeah, but we won't get into that. Um, so, okay. Have you ever been a guest on your podcast? No, no, I have no, no, that's okay. People don't want to hear about Maybe me. That, uh, oh, yes, they do. <laughs> I think, um, I think that should be organized at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you're not the first one to say that. <laughs> so how long have you lived in Australia? I mean, your accent tells me your whole life. My whole life. Okay. Yes. Okay. And what's yeah, the art cool. scene like there? Is there much of one or are you just kind of an island? An island um, for, for my type of work. Yeah. So Australia has, you know, for, for correspondingly for its size, a, a quite a developed and sophisticated modern tradition. 
um, in the modernist kind of um, in postmodernist arm of of the art world, and it's um, it's very uh, our, our big competitions and just you know our, our cultural institutions really laud it, really support it. Um, if there's this kind of sophisticated art conversation in Australia, it's very much very much belongs to that um, part of the arts. Whereas, dare I say, a kind of more traditional or realist uh, style is, as far as I can tell, almost completely non-existent outside of individuals hmm. who have just forged their own way. A bit like me, who, who didn't necessarily pick up their skills through any formal education, just doggedly applied themselves to the medium and, and found, found something to, you know, to, to make it work. Uh, so, yeah, there's very little interest in Australia, very little um, institutional support or recognition for, uh, let's say, kind of more classical forms of realism. Yeah. It's pretty, it's very isolating, uh, Australia, uh, in that, in that regard, beautiful place to live. Um, but yeah. Hmm. So you don't have any like local realist clubs or any other artists that live anywhere near you that share your taste in art? There, there are, um, there's a really, um, one of my favorite Australian realist artists is very close to me. It's just over the other side of the city that I live in. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're all kind of a bit cat-like. We yeah. don't interact too much with one another and there's no formalization of it. We don't meet in groups. We don't, um, like, for instance, I, I don't know if any of us do plain air or still life or portraits because, because, I think a part of that is we're never we're never educated to do these things. Um, I've never had uh, an educational kind of mentor say, you know, with a life model outside mm. of drawing. I did a hell of a lot of life drawing when I was younger, but um, which I'm immensely thankful for. Uh, but painting painting wise, I never did this, and so we don't meet up and and kind of go uh, plain air or or, you know, kind of painting portraits. I'm trying to fix this, actually. I'm really, it's a part of my, I'm, I'm still in survival mode in terms of I need to, I just need this to work. But right. my my larger picture of what it is to be a full-time artist is I, I would like to take chunks of the year where I, I, I do meet up with other artists, whether they're in Australia or abroad, and just, you know, get down to business. Um, yeah. And paint. Yeah. Well, so you say you don't have any education. That just kind of blows my mind. I mean, I've talked to a lot of self-taught artists, um, but I think most have had some form of education or another. You know, maybe they went to a public school or... Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that, that needs clarification then because oh, okay. I, I'm, I, in my mind, I'm thinking more um, you know, university or anything like this. I did one year of, uh, of art. Uh, school, which mm. probably I could attribute to why I stopped painting. Um, <laughs> okay, be because yeah, like it really, but it, it's a fantastic school. It's one of the most prestigious schools in the country. Um, 
but again, it, its focus is a totally, you know, uh, kind of modernist frame. Um, right. Through which it sees, and you know, I, I was in the painting department, and no one had any interest in realism at all. And I was really young; I was seventeen, um, fresh out of high school, and I was doing these, you know thinking of these big paintings and, you know, painting figures and all of this. And it was just, no, there's no interest. There's no kind of pedagogical input. Um, no one really knew how to use the medium of oil. So no, like I couldn't be, no one was kind of coaching me. Um, and so, you know, I just backed off and left. Um, but happily, and I think, that, you know, I can attribute everything to i had two teachers in high school um who you know i was sitting around drawing comic books and pictures of padme amidala or something this is in the 90s you know before the even before the, the new the new star wars came out at the time and obsessed uh and one one of the teachers has said you've got to you've got to try oil painting you know, we built the frame, we stretched the canvas and, you know, and they, they gave me some really solid base skills like sketch on with charcoal, do an underpainting, um, you know, and then, you know, um, fat over lean and, and things, things like this, uh, which was enough to enable me to, uh, to do these paintings. And my second ever painting was this gigantic, painting of Jesus on the cross on this chessboard and burning churches and and like really? it was, yeah it was and funny funnily enough looking back I'm like I'm just doing the same stuff as as that moment where they said you know you should really scale up and, and do oil painting so um, I had those two teachers and one in particular ran his own life drawing classes mm -hmm. and and he he was only probably he's only five years older than me. I'm still good friends with him. Um and yeah, so we, we kinda he he was the probably the strongest education that I had. Um but but it kinda ended there. There was nothing that nothing else. I didn't understand oil painting. I didn't know how to use it, how to wield it, what what potential it really had. I, I had a kind of enthusiastic introduction by two really fantastic people. Um, and then, yes, yeah, sought after an education and, and it just, you know, really fell flat. And, hmm. uh, and then I just, that was it. Yeah. Stopped. yeah. So tell me about that. Tell me about that moment when you stopped and what did you, I mean, what were you going through and then where did it lead? What kind of work did you end up getting into and why? Um, well, I, I remained creative. I mean, I couldn't and I've never been able to suppress that, hmm. you know, that thing. Like, I think all artists can identify with that. You have a, just this, it's just another one of your senses that, you know, needs to be exercised. Um, so I... I made the decision, yeah, you know, by the end of the first year to, to not go back uh, into education. And then I got like so many people bewitched by film and animation and, and um, 
and got a, a, a part-time job as a, as a basically a glorified bus driver, uh, like in the, uh, a tour guide, you know, so I'd drive people around on these epic trips around where I live. And then I would come back and do this, these animations, um, which the idea was, oh, wouldn't it be great to have an animation style that was completely painterly? Um, and this is 2003 or something. Um, and so I taught myself to digitally paint and really spent far too many years refining this two-minute piece of animation. Um, and um, and then nothing, nothing at all came of this. And, and that was this final crisis where I, I went, stuff this, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the art field altogether and I'm, I'm going to go into something completely different. Uh, but it, it was really important for me where I currently am to have done that because my compositional skills and my ability to use um, things like Photoshop and edit and conceptualize uh, with the, you know, with them through digital platforms uh, gave me the ability to just break out of of what I could imagine and really work to a design process towards something that I really wanted to realize in as as a painting or as a in in the case of an animation as a scene within the within the animation. And so when I finally came back to painting, I was um, I was making these digital compositions that that I was really into and, and liked a lot. And then the the next spark in the mind was these were supposed to be oil paintings. Hmm. So I, and I, I kind of I remember all those years ago I oil painted. I, sh I should really do that. Uh, and then I took one of my designs and, and started working on it as a painting. So yeah, it's it's it, it, this isn't a depressing story in my mind. It's quite a it's it's a really formative one, and I'm very glad now that I did. Uh, you know, jump into a kind of uh, different part of the creative space and learn a whole lot of different skills. Uh, and at the time, I had no intention of using them as a as a um, as a way to flesh out or realize design for oil paintings. But very happily, you know, I just I, I came back to that place. And um, and the the merger of the two have been one of the most enriching. Kind of creative experiences that I've had. So, okay. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I'm kind of hearing from you. Do you see that it's possible that if you had gone right from college to being a full time painter, you might have not evolved into the same type of painter that you are now because you had 20 years to play around with Photoshop and create digital mock-ups and you didn't even realize you were preparing to become the type of painter that you are now. Yes. Who uses um, this digital I, media. Yes. I, you know, maybe if we rerun the type of life, I might somehow get back to where I am now, but it was that hiatus where I no longer had an expectation that any of this would lead to 
oil painting per se um, that was the most liberating thing. And even my source materials, for instance, are things that, like yourself, I have many interests. And, you know, I sat around and read a whole bunch of things that I really enjoyed. And, and over time, these things have become um, the source material or the inspiration for the work I paint as well. And a lot of that was, all of that was completely independent of any idea I had of being in the a career in the arts or an oil painter or anything like this. And I, I get the impression uh, that maybe if, if, let's say, the trajectory had been an interest in painting at high school and a really nice foundational introduction and I went and got technically quite good, at that point I had nothing to really paint. And so, you know, let's say I started painting things and just trying to survive off that, I, I don't know how I would have had the time or the space to be able to maybe develop some of these other skills, which ultimately have led to the type of work that I now make. So I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful that I, was, I wasn't successful. <laughs> um, yeah, that is really interesting because, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of this silly analogy. It's almost like most of us come out of art school or we, those of us who start, you know, who don't have a nine to five ever, you know, I, I started right at high school painting full time and we're like, a can, we're all like a can of soda and we don't, we don't have time to shake it enough. And then when we open it, we might get a little bit of fizz coming out. With you, it's like you've been shaking this thing for 20 years. Yeah. And now you open yeah. it up and it's just <laughs> boof, like this creativity yeah. just explodes out because you've got this huge library of images in your mind that you've been accumulating and all this creative energy just explodes. That's what it seems like to I, me looking from the outside. Yeah. Well, that's, it's kind of what, without the, without the corresponding rush of emotion, that's kind of what it feels like. It's, it, it is, um, when I, when I do sit back and, you know, have the time to reflect on it, it's, it feels very much like that as if I was, you know, in the woods for 20 years with a purpose, but I, I is in building all these things that I would eventually use. But of course, if you go back in those 20 years and ask me at time points what I thought of my lack of success, I don't think I'd be very sanguine about it, probably. It would be like, well, that was just a disappointing thing that, <laughs> that happened. And, and, you know, now I don't do it. Thank you very much. Can we change the subject? Um, <laughs> That's funny. But it, but it is. It's like it is. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a massive relief for me because I... I get to merge a lot of things that I love a lot. And at, at, at this current point in time, I, you know, I feel like people, you know, these, let's call them the patrons. Uh, I feel like they're behind me and they're supporting me um, to be able to stay that course. And that's a, it's a, it's a really nice position. So where do your ideas come from? I mean, I, I... You've sort of alluded to it. You've read a lot in this, that, and the other, but is it more than that? I mean, are some of these things personal experiences? Are they, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to put ideas in your head, but mm. tell me a little bit about where some of these ideas come from. Because when I look at your paintings, they have such a strong narrative, mm. more than yeah. many artists uh. I've seen. 
Yeah. Um, personal, I don't know. Um, and I read a lot. I don't want to come across as an idiot. Um, maybe I, but who knows? Uh, <laughs> I, what I have read has largely left a, a big impact on my mind. And so it's, uh, and the things that tend to leave the biggest impact in the literature space are the images that it evokes. Uh, and so I, I, I have a kind of catalog of images in my mind from things that, that I've largely sourced through literature. Uh, and the, the thing about literature in particular and all of its derivations, like into, like, you know, we treat Shakespeare, for instance, or Sophocles or whatever as literature when they're, they're, perf they're performative things. They were, they're meant to be seen. Well, their, their initial design is to be actually visually enacted. Um, and so, you know, sourcing a lot of my inspiration from literature tends to just come with a big, um, narrative component, I guess, because uh, it's just, that's the nature of the source material. But then of course I can't at all rule out when I was younger, like so many kids of the eighties and nineties, I love, I just loved the big cinematic world that was surrounding me. I, I, and, and visually to these, to this day, I, you know, I don't really do much with cinema or think much about it anymore. Um, but, you know, I might go back and see a snippet of something like Raiders of the Lost Ark or a Star Wars and just, you know, be struck by visuals and how impacted I probably was by, by all of that, you know, the storytelling. Weirdly, I was just this morning, I was having a coffee and I thought, about this scene from, I think it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, where there's this flamboyant sword guy and Indy's in this crowd and he just just shoots him and goes on with his business. And it's like the visuals of this and the, the kind of the story of these little micro stories happening on the screen um, keep popping up in my mind after all these years. And I, I would have to say that that, that has to leave an imprint on, on the way that I, I make images and imbue them with stories or try to capture some kind of narrative in them. Hmm. So are you literally illustrating some of these books? Obviously not for the client. I mean, the book isn't that the author is not the client, but are you literally taking stories out of here and illustrating them like in the way that I might illustrate a Bible story? Is, is that what's happening? Not as literally, no. Okay. Um, I'm pretty fast and loose with, okay. with it as source material. Um, I kind of have a 98%, 2% rule. Where I 98% of it is aesthetics. And if it's lucky, 2% will be the source material. It normally is the inspiration for the image, but it won't nothing works until there's been some kind of visual hook um, that has convinced me that, that, that it's worth translating. And then I, and then the, the um, say the theme or the story that I'm, I'm using for that particular painting just helps me to navigate the design, add in details, um, things like that. But I really, I, I, I don't try to be accurate at all in terms of, Let's say if it's a Sophocles play, I don't try to 
find out what the clothing was or what what the architecture was or anything like this. It's very much a an interpretation of it. The thing that sits in my mind the most is like going to see, a, you know, a play of something like a Shakespeare or Sophocles or Euripides or something like this, where it's just another take on the old story. And you've got set direction, you've got lighting, you've got um, all these choices that are made uh, that that you can just, you can reference modern things, you can pull things from the hundreds or in some cases thousands of years that have elapsed um, between yourself and the source material to, you know, help you design the work. So, it, yeah, I kind of tend to think of my designs in relation to the source material, more like I'm I'm some kind of theatre director just setting up a, a contemporary, modern um, slice of the of the story. Hmm. I want to pull up some of your work because like, I'm going to start. I want to start with um, the painting that you said was your first painting. Okay, so I understand everything you're saying abstractly. Mm -hmm maybe just to add some specificity to it. So describe how this concept started and how it evolved. This was my first attempt at a uh, story of Iphigenia. Um, so this is called The Wreck of the Iphigenia. And the title is the only thing that was successful in me translating the story of Iphigenia, who's, I'm not sure if you're familiar with I'm the story, not, but no. it's... It's a it's a Greek thing again, um, the the siege on on Troy by the Greeks. So Iphigenia is the daughter of Agamemnon, who's the um, Greek king, who's basically marshaled this giant fleet to go and siege the city of Troy, and for reasons uh, that I can't remember, the fleet is stuck. There's no wind. They've insulted the god of wind, and so he sacrifices his daughter to the god of winds to give them the give them the, the propulsion power to move their fleet from the um, you know from Greece over to Troy and it just it's just one of those stories that um, some of the old playwrights dealt with a lot and it has a lot of it's it's you know I, I, for some reason I find it quite horrifying and moving and and that it's um, something I've always wanted to tackle so this started as kind of, I wanted the wind and the, the choppy seas, and then it just, everything fell apart and became this. Um, and so this is one of those moments where I had an idea that failed, but during the design process, it really worked. Uh, and it really worked when I, I put the boat kind of carving its way through this wave, and then this figure perched on top of it. Um, and... So that part of the design resolved itself, and it had this gaping hole in the, the bottom third, let's say. And I, I, um, I don't know where I'd seen pictures of those bathing monkeys in Japan. I thought, oh, this could be just the aftermath of a of one of these, you know. Um, wrecks of the 18th or 19th century after pillaging the Indonesian archipelago or something like this and just 
as they would at the time, you know, they'll bring back specimens to Europe and, and things. And so my mind just rambled. And oh, went, so okay, you're well, way I'll, off track. I mean, way off you went track. from this yeah, Greek uh, story yeah. to Indonesia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. went. Yeah. And it kind of then became quasi historic, but not at all. Hmm. But these were just these kind of ad hoc justifications as the design went along. But it, it, it helped me to resolve the design. And, and in my mind, aesthetically, I thought, um, you know, you've got this big kind of turpin green, blue, stormy ocean. And then I could just see these little red faces of these monkeys, you know, desperately clambering around in it. And that was, that was, so that was the visual hook. Yeah. Uh, and by this stage, that was enough for me to, uh, decide to paint thing itself. Yeah, I want to see some of these details of monkeys. So I pulled up your Instagram here. This is a detail, correct? Yeah. Yes, that's a detail of one of the monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's sw that one's swimming toward the. Uh, there's a Peter piece of floatsam that a lot of the monkeys are clambering upon, uh, and so this monkey's trying to make his way over to to them. And here's another detail of a, of a bunch, a whole bunch of them. On oh, these little yeah, baby these, monkeys. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. Um, and they were all. I, uh, I, I, I took that. I what I tried to do was, you know, um, do what a lot of paintings like this do. You try to in, imbue these figures with some kind of human emotion, and so I was just playing with the different emotions. Some were resigned, fearful you know, frightened, um, angry. Uh, and so that this little raft was a, a kind of became for me while I was painting it to keep me interested, this little microcosm of maybe human reactions to, you know, to this oblivion that they were all about to face or were facing. Um, wow. which isn't the cheeriest thing, <laughs> but you know, it's, 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 it, it interests me enough to, the work forward. Um, and I have to point out that the first name I see is liked by Kim Jong-gi. Rest in peace. We'll miss him. But that's quite a compliment. Um, oh, do you know what? I'd never even seen that. Oh, you didn't? Wow. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. That's oh, pretty man. awesome. Yeah. That is really awesome. Well, yeah. so, okay. So huh. I've been, tr I, I can't resist. You know, I didn't want to, I wanted to talk to you about other stuff before we got into the technical stuff, but as a painter, I can't resist. So I've okay. got to know how you put this thing together. Um, first of all, here's, here's some thoughts I have, and I hope to be able to, maybe you could kind of walk me through it. But first of all, where the heck do you get the reference for this thing? Second of all, how in the world did you get the lighting to work with your painting? Because I know the reference could have been consistent with the lighting in your painting. Maybe we can start uh, with those two questions. Yeah. So my my reference source has evolved a lot. Um, now I'm, I have a very militant. Um, well, maybe I should backpedal just a little bit to say that my pieces require a hell of a lot of references. Um, references that you know I I've, I might take two percent myself. Um, of the references that I use in a, in a, in an artwork, um, 
And I saw, uh, and the reason for that is largely that I can't set these things up. Mm -hmm. I find it, no like, way. It, it just, yeah. Um, so what I now do is, is there's these amazing um, um, royalty-free caches that photographers just contribute vast amounts of their catalog to, and they're completely license-free images. Um, and I'm just eternally grateful to these people. And what tends to happen actually is when I, let's say I sell a painting and there's maybe four or five really prominent references in there, I'll then donate money to those. Um, it's not donate. Like, yeah, well, maybe it is called, they call it donating. Um, yeah. I give money to these photographers just to thank them for their sheer benevolence. Yeah, that's um, kind of you. And then the the other the the other avenue to getting the good resources is paying for them. And so I have a, you know, I'll search, and if it comes down to it, and there's these things that I need to purchase, I'll normally fiddle around with them a bit in my design process. And if it's going to work, I'll go and buy the image, and then I'll really work it into um, into it. Um, so you'll fiddle around one, with one with watermarks and whatnot on it. And then if it works, you'll go get the original. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and th th there is a third part, which has only ever worked a couple of times, which is trying to find and contact the owner of the image. Um, and every time I've been able to do that, they've said yes. Mm -hmm. But it's really difficult, especially when you're just searching through a sea of stuff to find you know, where this image has come from, who owns it, uh, and, you know, so on. Um, so in terms of how, how to then integrate vast amounts of references yeah. into a coherent whole, this is um, largely, I, I do a little bit of it in my design process. I try to you know, I play with the contrasts and um, and the colors and, and all of this. But ultimately, in my mind, it's constructing this world that then I will, uh, when I'm painting, I will I'll, I'll do deliberate um, modifications to, to make it all gel together. Um, and I spend so long in the design process that it really forms this almost three-dimensional um, image in my mind where I can see as far as I'm able how the light might interact in this space. No, not authentically at all, just realistically, if, if that makes sense. It's mm -hmm. not, if, if the physics of it is completely off, but the look of it is right, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I interviewed David uh, Dibble. Did you get a chance to hear that interview with David oh, Dibble? Uh, yes, and there are sections of that I've listened to multiple times. Yeah, <laughs> so that that my my jaw was open in parts of that interview. I I just well, you and him would uh, obviously yeah. have a lot in common because he's very he. I mean, his he also depends a lot on digital reference. Um, <laughs> But yes. what he said yes. was, for those who didn't watch it, what he said was, oh, how did he put it? If it looks right, it is right. Yes, yes. He said that several times, which I think for someone who's very analytically minded, I'm, I, I think of myself as, this, as more of a scientifically minded person who knows how to paint than a 
artist, you know? Mm. Um, that's hard for me to get my head around. I'm like, no, it has to be right. It has to follow the laws of physics. Mm. But it's nice to meet people like you and him and see how, no, it's that it, that I didn't, I don't know if this follows the laws of physics. I can't tell. <laughs> it looks right to me. So therefore it does. Yes. Yeah. And I think, because I'm sure David and yourself and me would all, uh, all agree on the kind of that, that, uh, that almost scientific um, part of the process. You'd like, you almost need an appreciation for how things do work or do appear. Um, but, and what I really found uh, lovely in the interview you did with David was all of, all of his decisions seemingly came down to the story. And so what makes, um, what modifications you make, uh, if it looks right, it's not just a kind of arbitrary deviation from the physics of the thing. It's, it's kind of helping to tell the story of the piece. Mm. Um, and I think that's what, that's what makes ultimately the decisions work is it looks right and it's serving uh, let's say the story, and in this case, it's this kind of cold, wintry spotlight on a bunch of, you know, really doomed, <laughs> sad, angry animals. Um, it that would otherwise be completely lost in the story. But if you if you come back to the whole whole piece, uh, where is the spotlight coming from? Um, it's yeah. Let it me go back. Seem like it. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's coming from yeah, the sunset. Like yeah, that's what it looks like yeah, to me. Yeah. No. It, it, you know, there's a there's but but know, it doesn't make sense on the crate. Like, yeah. No, because yeah. it should be coming from up higher. But it's uh, it still yeah. works. It works. It works because yeah. it's and this is where I think it's theater a lot. You go to I in 2013. I was so lucky. I. Someone, because these were hugely expensive, um, gifted me uh, a ticket to uh, Gottendammerung, uh, the last installment in the Wagnerian ring cycle that was being performed in the city where I live. And the stage direction was crazy. And I love that story. I love the music. It's The whole thing was just this, I was on fire. It was just an amazing experience. And one of the things, it had this DNA helix of, um, uh, what do you call it? taxidermied animals in the mm -hmm. center of the stage, all lit from these bizarre angles to accentuate characters and drama and all of this. But you sat back in your seat and I felt like I was looking at an environment. I believed in the environment. It was, there was nothing about it that I thought, wow, that's really stupid. Um, the light, you know, you've got a big, red sun here but then you've got light coming from over here it all worked and that that i think was quite formative for me in convincing me that actually what what matters is is your impression and not how um, accurate you are in terms of what the, the you know lit, what nature might be might be doing with a scene like that because none of this is natural <laughs> mm -hmm. you don't, like none of, none of my works so far are real scenes they don't uh, have to um, abide by the laws of of nature but they're heavily influenced by the atmospherics of 
you know, the world that we all, you know, see when we move through it and seek to represent it. You know, the, wor the world as I observe it, you know, the, the kind of atmospherics and the aesthetics of the world as, as, you know, as I, as I move through it, it's not the kind of images I make are not, are not bound by it. Whereas some other artists who have a different objective to me, um, you know, are seeking to maybe capture those things that are, are how, how nature is, is displaying a scene in front of them. Whereas for me, there's this other objective, it's a narrative. Um, and narratives take massive licenses because mm -hmm. they're telling stories first and foremost. And I just happen to be working in a, in a 100% visual medium. And so one of the things I have to manipulate very heavily is are the optics of the thing. And, um, and while I don't like deviating too far from, from, I, I guess, natural palettes as I see them, um, I, I do have to, you know, push and pull the, the parameters of lighting and contrasts and colors just to, to make the story that I want to make. Hmm. So obviously you can't completely throw physics out the window. I mean, no, right. You, you've got Otherwise, to, you've got to obey. upside down. And yeah. Be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, can you comment? Maybe it's maybe it's an impossible question to answer, but can you comment on where that line is? I mean, okay, let's go back I, to that detail again first. Like, okay, so yeah. this is lit from too high to make that shadow, and yet yeah. it works. But yet, yeah. if independently, it seems natural not knowing where the light source is. So is that is is that the criteria that it works? with some light source, not necessarily the one you've got in the painting, but at least something? Or can, I mean, where is that line? I, there is a line and I sit on a very conservative end of that line. Um, of course I, I do, uh, do things that like this instance here where it, it's obviously the, the light, the lighting and the sources are all out of whack. Um, but it comes down to the narrative again. These are narratives based in the world that we live in. They're, they're referencing humans. They're referencing our experiences. They're referencing our history and our cultures and, and all of this stuff. And so to me, the, and all of these took part, place and are understandable in the world we live in. And so, you know, you can see these these more, let's say, fantasy um, artwork tends to really exaggerate the physics of everything. And so you might have things flipping around and floating and, and doing um, things that uh, are not the kind of stories that I'm, I'm interested in telling at this point. And so I, I, I don't think I will at any point, um, I imagine, but it, it's, it's trying to get it as as unremarkable or as real as 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 possible um so that when you do look at it you do, it's not jarring it doesn't mm -hmm. strike you as being mm -hmm. wrong but it's right and one of the other things about this and these paintings and maybe these types of paintings multi-figure large paintings in particular is so different 
paintings are always different to the photographs, always different, obviously, to the Instagram representation of them. But scale matters. Mm-hmm. The texture of paint matters. The opacity of the layers matter. The, the way the light is interacting matters. And so you stand in front of this painting. It's a very big painting. You very rarely get the full, you know, when we look at it as a thumbnail, there's I don't think there'll ever be a situation in this painting's life where you could get that kind of distance from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, get the thumbnail appreciation of it. You're, you're up close to it when you see it and you, you kind of move like a story through different segments of the painting. And um, that could actually help with uh, convincing the person that each little step in this narrative is is right because they're not really stepping back and going, well, you know, the lighting source is here and this is, you know, and this part here doesn't quite agree with it. Um, that could be something. But then again, I guess you're looking at it, you've never seen it in the flesh and it seems to make sense to you as well, even from mm-hmm. um, seeing it on, on the screen. Um, oh, so, it's remarkably convincing. Yeah. So let me, okay, yeah. just to beat a dead horse here. Um, total, I'm, I, I just am, I'm totally geeking out on this, but so <laughs> did any of these monkeys that are basically in shadow with rim light, were any of these references yeah. lit from the front with a strong direct light in the reference? A long time, long time ago. Um, in other words, did you possibly. really have to completely obliterate a strong direct light source? And to make them look like they're sitting in shadow with rim light. Yeah, I've 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 done that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, it's um, and it takes a you know, it there's a lot of things that you've got to manipulate in order to in the designs achieve something that you know then in paint you can render. And what I tend to do is I'll like when I'm hopefully this isn't jumping too technically, you know ahead of the conversation, but I'll have my design reference, mm-hmm. parts of the photographic references independent of the design, and then a third reference, which is a painting or a picture oh, of a painting. Okay. And I, I kind of, I do this composite thing in my mind. I'm like, well, this is my design and it has a lot of the information I want to convey. This is the photographic source and it has other qualities to it that I might want to pick up on somehow. The individual, and then, the individual, the, you, so the photographic source as in the, the, the first one was the montage of photographs. The second yes, one is the yeah. individual photograph. Yes. And then the and third, that, and okay. that, yeah. And that, uh, you know, I'm not the photograph. I'm not trying to represent the photograph at all. Right. In fact, I'm, I've completely deviated from it, but the photograph still captures information. I can't pull across into my composites. Right. Um, and so there might be something about the edges or whatever that, that, uh, could, might be worth paying attention to mm-hmm. that in my cut and paste kind of collage um, design that they don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, and in it, it couched in this conversation about what is real and what isn't, there's this point where it doesn't, I've got the overall convincing design and then I, I can deviate all over the place from from the hard and fast rules of of 
what is accurate in the photograph, what is accurate in life, the suit, what is happening in the painting. You know those joyful moments in the painting where you're creating effects, you're like, oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it sits in there, it works, but if I was to sit down and analyze it, it should be, it should be changed. But at that point, that's the, that kind of slavish relationship to the source material that a lot of people talk about when they're talking about painting from photographs. Like they, the photograph dominates the, the painting rather than the painting just, you know, drawing from the photograph. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, and very importantly, I'll have and these could just be books of paintings or my own paintings just next to me where I'll let my eyes go to them and kind of let my eyes remember that ultimately what my object and goal is here is this is a painting. And that these elaborate references and these elaborate designs that I've come up with are simply tools and reproducing them in high fidelity is not my ultimate goal. It's to create a coherent um, and, you know, like visually beautiful to stand in the presence of painting. Hmm. Whether that's achieved or not is a different <laughs> Let's just step back and go, that's the aim. Um, Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. It's funny you said visually beautiful. I just interviewed Connor Walton. He posted this morning, actually, which for you in Australia would have been last night. But um, right. he says he's absolutely not interested in beauty. Like beauty is right. completely irrelevant. And uh, it's it's fun to see the different priorities that different artists have, because I love both of your works. But um, yeah. it's a totally different yeah. perspective. You know, you're after beauty. And I, yeah, yeah, which is what I'm more after as well. Um, yeah, okay. Because I have to live with it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this one alone after this question. Okay. The crates. Is that also, yeah. I mean, I, is, did you photograph crates or did you find crate reference? Uh, for this, everything was oh, like one of these crates, or some of these crates were a photo that I did take. Um, again, a bit too long ago. Yeah. Um, and I no longer have the designs for it, so I can't pick apart the layers and see what was what. Okay. Um, and then but, the water in it, what I'm imagining yeah. is just, your water is spectacular. I just, it's like, it's like an explosion as much as a wave. Like, I wish I could yeah. zoom into this part right here. Oh. That's eye candy right there. Yeah. I just really want to look at that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it, is, it just looks yeah. like a bunch of, you must have just gotten tons of different wave reference and squished them all together until you got the shapes that you want. Yes, uh, that's exactly what happened. And it's funny because that big plume yeah. uh, is me at the end of my tether. So this is at, you know, year three. I'm so sick of this painting at this stage. And see, it's got a kind of vapory quality to it. Yeah. That's because I just, like, honestly, if I'm just to be honest, I just, I was done. I just wanted this thing out of my life. And um, just, yeah, I don't know, just, just rendered it in a way that the rest of the painting wasn't really rendered. And uh, and funnily enough, I mean, it, it works. It works perfectly, uh, I think, for the what the image is. Uh, but, yeah, to 
to answer the question. Like there were there were multiple references, and it was about um, in in you know the mind's eye, I guess, um, gelling them together. And yeah. you can do a bit of this in photo. Like I know there's really skilled people with Photoshop. I am a caveman when it comes to Photoshop. I have maybe five or six manipulation tools up my sleeve, and the rest I just I. You know, I leave well alone. But my, my object isn't to create a finished Photoshop thing. It's just to kind of compose things. Right. But um, a part of it is, you know, you, you bring enough together that you're confident that your mind can in, interpolate between the references um, hmm. to achieve the end you want to achieve. Like I'm not saying my mind's interpolating these wave things and figuring out how the, they should actually be interacting, but I have kind of had enough confidence that I'm like, I can render this in such a way that it makes sense to the, to the how the movement in the painting, um, the direction of the waves, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. But I repainted entire sections of this multiple times. That's why it took three years. I mean, I did, the bottom kind of left mm -hmm. is about seven, seven different complete paintings. There's something like over five or more, like probably much more than that completed monkeys under the waves that have been, you know, just, no just painted over. And yeah. If you go a bit earlier and I don't mean do it now, but um, like in earlier on in the Instagram feed there, there's just, I just had little videos of me knocking the monkeys out of existence. Uh, goodbye, monkey. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Look at that. Um. Wow. It's that, cool to see, see like, this, this one. This one at this stage yeah. too. You haven't really resolved the lighting yet. And this, no, and this that parrot's monkey biting different. his shoulders. Yep. The there parrot he goes. Yeah, because that parrot was diving kind of downward, and its feathers were every which way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, do, I end up doing a lot of that where I'll just obliterate parts of a painting. Um, redo it. I love how transparent you are. It's really cool. It's really authentic. I, I appreciate your uh, honesty, not just on Instagram, but here on the podcast. It's cool. You're just oh, no putting it all out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's great. So I want to I look at this one too. So this is... At this point, it's pretty high key. Now, is that just a photo reference, or do you do you find that you use a lot of glazing to get the right tones? Um, that could be the photo itself. Okay. More than um, anything. And if anything, I, I, I do wonder now whether the professional photograph of it is a bit too dark. But I wondered I'm, that too. Yeah. Um, Huh. Which is always, as everyone knows, is, is the dark art at the end is trying to represent these things. As, as um, I know, it's so frustrating. You work so hard to make it look good, and then you got to put it on on Instagram, and it never looks yeah. quite as good. Well, let's um, let's move on to some of your other work here. Okay, so here's a new one that you've done, newish. I'm assuming yes. it's new. It it is new. It's um, it's still in the studio. It's. It's the the painting that I finished before the one I've I'm oh, just starting. Now. It is so beautiful, Thanks. so beautiful. I love your limited palette. Yes, it's just um, I tend 
yeah, I, I tend to find in that, I said like 98% aesthetics, 2% idea. What probably is more accurate is the thing that inspires me to make an image will be some color combination, two or three, and that's, and that's it. And then I'll kind of build on top of that, like in that, some kind of atmosphere that um, I think will work. And then, hmm. then I kind of impregnate the scene with things, um, people and whatnot. So are you literally using just a couple of colors or the, th the, the theme is a couple of colors? The theme is a couple of colors. Yeah. Then I, I really try to flesh it out within the boundaries of those couple of colors. I don't, um, yeah, I, they're, they're not kind of these weird monochromatic things. In fact, it's one of the other things that I really struggle with, uh, with the digital representation of these works is it, a lot of the color. I, I go to a, a lot of lengths to have very pure colors. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, most of them exist in the grays and the browns, but they're I've, even my pat, like I have a, what I think is quite an elaborate system. Um, and it just gets washed out and just disappears when you, you know, you, you kind of have it online. Uh, it doesn't translate, but when you see it, like there's a lot of crisp colors in there. They just happen to be exist in that, in that range of colors, which are generally thought of as the grays and the browns. Well, I do see it in these feathers. Greeny grains. Yeah, I do see it in these feathers. That that violet is just mm. gorgeous. Mm. Gorgeous, and yeah. and you you know you see all these deep deep colors in the seagulls and in the feet of the model. Mm. Um, one thing I noticed about your work too is it reads is quite tight, but then when you zoom into it. You know, I was looking at a detail of his face on Instagram and mm. you're not as tight as, as you might think when you look, No. let me see. I want to see if I can pull up his face here. Where was that detail oh, right yeah. here? Yeah. Yeah. You're quite painterly. Look at that hand. Yeah. And that's what I'm, I mean, that's because my style, like most people, that's not called style, but whatever my learning my technique is isn't you know i'm i'm still progressing a lot and it's the i love the looseness of paint mm -hmm. and it's one of the tensions in in what i do is is i do these really meticulous designs and and everything about it just says tightness uh and so one of the challenges for me in my daily painting practice is i might be in there rendering some some part of this big composition but I'm really trying to just go, what are the, what are these decisions I can make about the edges and the colors and, and, and just, you know, to capture a hand, not render completely a hand. I just want to be able to capture some of these things. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't pretend that that's at this point my strength, but it's definitely where I want to go more and more and more into the future is is have these really tight compositions but like you said the closer you get the kind of, you, you get to feel the, the the pleasure of paint um more than a really really kind of tightly orchestrated thing makes sense oh absolutely sense. Mm. absolutely um 
want to look at a couple more details and see maybe his feet. Yeah, it's so loose. Mm. So much looser than I imagined. Okay, so I want to go over it. This is something that I don't quite understand. Um, I want to go over one of your dry media works. Okay, so here is one that is dry media, tinted charcoal, Conte, pastel. I don't even know how to say that word. What is that? Lana Quirrell. Neither do I. <laughs> Lana Quirrell. What is that? I don't know. It's just, it's on the receipt. Uh, it's on the receipt. <laughs> you are receipt, loyal to yeah. your uh, yeah, your manufacturers right receipts, there. Yeah, yeah well, well, I guess, you know, you made the paper and it works. So, um, <laughs> oh, so that's the name of the you. paper. Okay, right. On. Pastel that's on it, yeah. Lana Quarell 640. Okay. I didn't see the word on. Okay, so tell me about this medium. It looks like an oil painting to me. I was shocked that it's dry media. Yeah. Um I don't know how this came about, actually. I guess uh, while I was doing that, the wreck, the big um, monkey painting, I did, I took some uh, time out just to do some good old fashioned charcoal um, drawing. And I mentioned earlier that I uh, I did do a lot of uh, charcoal work in, in life drawing sessions, which I really enjoyed. So charcoal's always been this base thing that I, I do enjoy, even just when I, start a painting i still sketch on in charcoal just because i like doing it i a part of me thinks it's totally redundant because i i can just start with a brush but i just like charcoal uh and this whatever this is whatever i don't know if if people do dry media like this but i basically was doing charcoal works and then thought i want color what has color in it? And I found these Derwent uh, tinted charcoal pencils, and then of course Conte and 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 pastel. And I so what I did is I just blacked out the the uh, paper with compressed charcoal, so that there's this kind of base into which everything blends. Uh, and so from the very beginning, everything that I was doing on top of this compressed charcoal layer. This kind of, it all becomes less saturated in terms of chroma, and it, 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 and the values go darker automatically, and so you can't achieve this, the, the those kind of crisp whites that, um, unless you, you know, at the very end you can drag some pastel over the top of it, but um, it automatically knocks the whole piece into this mid, um, mid value range, um, and then yeah, I just. So all of this is a kind of a strange blend of compressed charcoal, um, yeah, Conte pastel and tinted uh, charcoal pencils. It's insane. And, and overall, that 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 effect is is a painterly effect because, in in one way, I personally I like these more than my paintings. I recognize when I put them side by side. I love my paintings more, but I don't want to live with them. The charcoals, I would happily live with. Okay, I don't understand that. Why? How could you like something more but want to live with it less? I don't know. How, you said you were married, why, right? 
Yeah. How does your wife feel about yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to flesh She's that like, out. like, wait, do you want to live with me or do you like me? Which one oh, is no, it? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it seems to only be an aesthetic thing. Okay. Okay. Um, in this in this case, uh, but you know, there are paintings that I adore that I'll go to the, the our local you know national gallery and stare at for hours. But I really wouldn't want them in my house. They're very overbearing and big, and um, I just I kind of like. I guess what it comes down to is these are matte. You can you can look at them from every angle, and in I live in an apartment. It's a very small space. I don't want this giant reflective weird um, thing in my space. But maybe that would change hmm. if I lived in you know in the larger area where it could be lit properly and you can get the appropriate amount of distance from it. But right. as an apartment dweller, um, a, you know, quite a si- this is quite a sizable charcoal. Well, I keep calling it charcoal as a as a you know, yeah, it's um, four feet by three feet. That's huge. Yeah, it's big. Uh, it's too big. It's it's kind of no one wants it big, because <laughs> once you put the frame on top of that, it's just uh, it's just a silly size. Um, but I happily have it up in the apartment. So wow, no one wants it big. Well, I want it, so we'll have to talk about how much that's going <laughs> to cost me. <laughs> I want everything you paint, though. Everything you draw, everything you paint. <laughs> Man, well, it's gorgeous, and I, it's cool that you've kind of come up with your own medium. You know, if you're interested in that matte thing, have you ever tried gouache? No, but I, I, I would, I would love to do things in gouache. Uh, even the other, the other gouache and watercolor are two things I'd really like to have a go at. Um, and in my mind, I imagine I romanticize about this future moment where, you know, I'm not just producing, you know, spending months and months and months on, on a single piece where I can take some time to, to play with these other mediums. And that's what happened with this. I was very fortunate that I did give myself the time just to play with a new medium. And it had a really great result. Like I, I'm hoping this year to maybe do another two of these dry media pieces. Um, mm. Yeah, I hope because I, I really, I really enjoy it. But I have to. It's a nightmare in terms of the studio. That like everything is covered in charcoal. And, oh, I bet. Again, because I'm working to this big compressed charcoal base, and so I, I don't want it anywhere near. My oil paintings have to be properly sealed off, and so no, none of the charcoal dust that's floating around gets onto them, and. See, this is yeah. the reason that I kind of shy away from dry media is because I love pastels and I've, I, I bought some pastels years ago and I, I've always, you know, in my mind, I'm like, someday I'm going to use those pastels. But what, what scares me about dry media is it's so fragile. Mm. You know, it's like you just blow on it and it goes away. Oh. So you it put is, all this work into it, and then heaven forbid you touch the darn thing, you know? This, yeah, and it's funny because these are, if paintings take me months, these things take me weeks. Um, so there's this amazing, there's this, this sudden feeling of freedom and, oh my God, how, like this is such a direct, amazing medium to work in and I can just achieve these things that I want to achieve very quickly. And then at the other end, you realize this is, torture 
how do you keep this stuff on the page? How do you frame them? How do you ship them? It just becomes a, and suddenly mm-hmm. you, 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 you know, you hug back up to the painting saying, thank you. Thank you for being so simple at the end. You know, it's a big solid up inside a crate and, and off it goes and you can be relatively confident that everything is going to remain in one piece. A bit of charcoal. I just I sent one to America a couple of months ago and I just held my breath. Yeah. <laughs> waited I bet. Until the person received it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, they are gorgeous. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I, you can't, you, you almost can't distinguish it from the paintings. You know, have you heard of Nick Alm? Yes. Okay. Cause Indeed. this, yeah. you said yeah. you want to try watercolor. I yeah. mean, when I saw this, I don't, I mean, I know you're not, it doesn't, it's your own work. It looks like your own work, but I do see a similar aesthetic taste between you and him. I mean, this feels like one of his watercolors almost. Yes, I know what you mean. And people have, uh, who have seen this have, have said that, you know, Nick, Nick is a, a titan. His work is, is just uh, stunning. But I think, yeah, there are, I, I see, I can, when I see his works, I, um, they kind of resonate a lot with me in, in that I can see narrative. Um, I can, yeah, appreciate his compositional clout. And I think it's funny in the art world, or in the art world, well, with the kind of works that I see, almost no one breaches the laws of composition. You know, everyone's everyone's pieces are, 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 are composed in a way that you would, you know, you would say that's that's perfectly fine. Um, but I find it for me and my tastes rarer to find a something that where the composition is a bit more daring, maybe a bit more. Um, bold, uh, where the composition is actually one of the star star figures in the in the piece itself. Was it? I don't know if this is making much sense, but for a lot of work, you know, sometimes the star figure is the figure and is the painting style, and the composition is a really beautiful just backdrop to capture those elements of the painting. And then sometimes you see these compositions that are. Um, are the strength in themselves. Like we, a friend was visiting from Canada, an amazing um, pastel artist. Um, and we went into the National Gallery of Victoria and, and on display is John William Waterhouse's Ulysses, uh, which is just a killer composition. Uh, it is so beautiful. And the painting is stunning. The color, everything is stunning. And we get, the closer and closer you get, you're like, man, this guy took some pretty serious liberties with <laughs> With just his rendering of some of the parts, like the 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 whatever, not the oar, but the the thing that steers the boat at the back. Sorry to any you know nautical <laughs> people out there, but any sailors what, out there, the rudder, maybe, yeah, yeah, it's like all those painting sailors who are out there, like the the rudder was just really honky. It was it was just, but it didn't matter because the you could the strength of the entire piece was resting on the composition. Um, and I find that really inspiring because it, it, in my mind, it, it, it shows you that composition in itself is, is one of the big strengths of the visual medium. It's not just color. It's that, and, and no one thinks this, but I mean, just to be, you know, kind of make it black and white, you know, it's a, we kind of focus on, you know, color and value and, and 
maybe application of the paint and, and all of this stuff and, and um, placement and model, but the like, overall composition can be a star feature of, of works. And that's maybe a bit rarer today than it, than it definitely was in the 19th century. I mean, they were going hog wild with compositions. It was just a cacophony of amazing, giant, ambitious, gregarious compositions. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like I feel like I don't I don't know anything about art history. I mean, I I know more than maybe the layperson, but not a, not a lot compared to my peers. But it seems to me like um, composition in realism was very important and a main priority for artists right up until the twentieth century, and then mm. modernists made painting only composition, and then now we realists are so happy to make something look real that we're like, no modernists do composition. We just make things look real. And it's almost like we're, we're pushing not intentionally because I find myself maybe guilty of this sometimes where it's like, look what I can do. And, and forgetting about how important composition is because that's what the modernists focus on is, mm. is composing an abstract canvas. And uh, so in this, I don't know, in this new revival of realism, it's really hard not to get caught up in, yeah, we're not focused on composition. We're focused on making things look real. Mm, mm. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's just me kind of observing from inside, trying to figure out what's going on in the art world, because I agree with you and I see it in myself. It's like, think more composition, think more composition, think more composition. Mm. Mm. I wonder, because that's that's a that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that. I was chatting with someone else about this, and their thoughts I found equally interesting. Where they they attributed a part of it to um, the end of the patrons, hmm. uh, and so the idea that you could have this gigantic lead-in and these huge briefs. You know, we want God. <laughs> Uh, we, 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 you know, like it's it, that's a pretty big brief to get and then try to represent as a, as a painting and you have right. to, you know, kind of pull out all the stops to achieve such a thing. Um, whereas now, and you know, now a lot of the, the market is quite fracturous and, and you, you paint these paintings and they go to competitions, they go to collectors, they, they have to be quite movable. Um, they have to be light, you know, economically viable. And so there could be this kind of economic uh, part of the explanation as well, where uh, we're just in different economic times and, and the demands on artists and what is feasible has meant that things have become um, uh, less likely to occur. So a modernist artwork that is dealing with composition might have a few big elements in it that are in themselves quite simple in, in a paint in a, in the sense of being able to be executed in paint. But then you kind of, you, you come up against a realist painter trying to cover the same space with the, um, you know, same bold composition and it takes them months. Mm -hmm. And then they're up against the problem of like, Jesus, is this going to, um, pardon me, um, is this going to sell or is this, is this viable? Uh, is this going to bankrupt me? And yeah, I, I just thought that was an interesting position because it needs an ex it it requires an explanation. 
Yeah, you to know, be what, fixed. What happens if it needs to be fixed? Mm. I mean, there are a lot of great Just, artists yeah. out there. All the ones I'm interviewing all do great compositions. Yeah, but I yes. think you're. I think you're right that sometimes composition. It's easy to uh, forget about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, that, and that's yeah. one of the things I love about your work. Is is uh, I mean, I'm I'm looking at it, and uh, so to me. It, the ultimate painting is one that is both. So this is actually how I define fine art. It's uh, fine art has three things. It's got good craftsmanship, a good idea, and good composition. And when I look at yours, it's got the whole thing. I mean, because you could just have a great, you know, you could just have a good composition, then you have an abstract painting, but then you can have a good craftsmanship and not have good design or a good idea, and then it's just a picture. It's like, yeah, well, what's mm. the big deal? You painted a face, it looks like them. What's the big deal? It's not that interesting to look at. You know, but when you have all three, it's just magic. And that's what I'm seeing in your work. It's I can look at it. It's just so beautiful in just a thumbnail because it's so well composed. But then I can look at this, my gosh, man, that seagull is so beautifully painted. So the craftsmanship is there as well. You've got you've got the great concepts, great design, and great craftsmanship. So kudos to you on that. Thank you. Um, and that's just my definition. Someone else might see it differently, of course. But no, but I I mean for I think I think it's totally applicable to I guess broadly the camp of painting that we sit within, which has a long tradition. Like it's mm -hmm. a. Um, you know, I know, and one of my favorite, if you, if they are branches, of course, these things have um, permeable boundaries as they go along. Um, but, you know, the invention of plein air painting with the technological innovations of the paint tube and, and all of this stuff and all of the amazing things that were unlocked in that period from the 1830s through to now, um, that, that direct painting thing that has become... I think one of the most technically beautiful uh, forms of, of painting today. But and long before that were the studio paintings, the indirect styles. And, and it's one of the things that I like to try to do is to keep the, the, the kind of thread long. As in, we, we belong to a really old tradition and it has lots of different byways, lots of different little cul-de-sacs that people can fight in and get sequestered in and be that thing. But, you know, when you take painting as a, especially, you know, in the, the let's kind of confine it to the Western tradition, um, it, it has a really long old, um, sorry, it is, it, it is very old and we can exhaust our entire lives trying to just, you know, participate in that tradition. Uh, and when I do look at it in the broadest possible strokes, I see composition, I see story, I see narrative, I see so much stuff that um, kind of almost comes together in your definition. You know, it, 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 it needs an idea, it, 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 it required skill. And these, you know, if, I'm, if we're thinking about the, let's say the, you know, the, the masters, of the Renaissance or something like this. They definitely had, like, that was the era of the birth of a very contemporary um, composition, you know, with their 
finally figuring out perspectives and all all of these types of things. And to me, it's I I I, I find a bit of a uh, not just a bit like a, a large part of my interest in the medium and me working within it is is kind of harkening back to some of those strengths that have have been in our discipline for a very very long time. Um, and I'm, I mean, just as just as much awe with the stuff that's going on now and has been going on in the last two hundred years. But um, you know, we can we can go back further than that as well and and be wanting to bring some of those elements into our contemporary practice. Mm. So I got a question for you about composition because, as I kind of alluded to, if I didn't come right out and say it, composition is probably my biggest weakness. I believe I. So I can make a thing look like a thing, you know? And I think the reason composition is so difficult is because it's not easily measured. You know, as a portrait painter, when I make it look like a person, you one could argue that I've succeeded because I had a very clear goal and a very, you know, something that was, you know, very, once I reach it, it's a definitive result outcome that I can measure. With um, composition, why is composition good or bad? <laughs> like, what what makes a good composition? It's this very ethereal, hard to define concept. And I know there are rules of composition. You know, we've heard them. We've all heard them: repetition and unity and symmetry and all this other stuff. But how do you approach it? Because I personally, real when I look at yours, they feel so well composed. But do you have certain a certain way of figuring out how to make a good composition? Do you have um, uh, your own personal formulas, your own personal rules, your own personal aesthetic that you could comment on? No. Um, for instance, all like you just mentioned some of the academic components of composition. Right. I, I can honestly say that none of them sit in my mind when I'm composing a work. Uh, I, I tend to uh, look at paintings, basically. Um, a lot at the start, at the, the start of a design process, and just kind of let my eyes swim around in what I think are great compositions. Um, not, and that's not thinking too much about them or drawing mm. elaborate schemas to try to figure out why they work, but just having an impression of how they're working. Uh, and then in the design phase, what what will normally happen for me is for every design that works is 10 easily that I trash. Um, and I'm playing around with elements and then something will click into a, into a, let's say a geographic location within my design. And then I will hold on to that and I will start to build from there. And then all the decisions downstream of that are these intuitive movement of the thing around the surface of the artwork of, of the design until something in me just says, yep, 
that's it. That's what works. So it's totally um, instinct. It's totally just totally how, it's a total feeling. So what yeah. what are we what what yeah. are what are the rest of us supposed to do with that? <laughs> well, no, but I think but the thing is, yeah. <laughs> thanks for your help. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think um, what strikes me about visual artists is yeah, they're all largely visual, and I right. do get the impression that again, like when I look at nearly nearly all the work I see, one of the few things that ever happens to me is I go, oh, that's a that's a bad composition or, you know, so I feel like the, the composition is one of those intuit, those things that we intuit quite easily. Um, I, maybe the difference, if there is a difference between the way I'm composing work and other people might be composing work at this point is it could simply be the scale like of the, of the task. You know, it like I'll spend maybe two months on a design. Uh, I don't know how. For some people, that might be familiar. To others, it could be completely foreign. And I do wonder whether just immersing yourself and working through that process is where a lot of this stuff will just get resolved. Um, hmm. That's actually really I, informative. Two months just on the design. Totally. Then I let it sit for as long as I possibly can as well, because I'll go back. I, I continue to make adjustments as I'm painting as well to the composition, because there is something about you have a design that looks great on screen, but then you're faced with a, a real painting in a real environment and things change. That yeah. sense that says something is right says something is wrong. And I will, I will go and, and make some alterations uh, in the design space uh, of the painting, but that actually tends to become less and less true as the painting gets towards the end. I mean, the reference is gone and things are just being changed. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, because you can just reference the painting itself at that point. You're not, um, it's, you, you know, you can kind of, at that point, I feel like the, the changes to the composition of painterly changes, if that makes sense. And the real way to figure them out for me is just with paint. Um, right. Do you find that scale it, yeah. makes a difference? So you design something on a computer screen and now you're painting it six feet tall or six feet wide and a shape that was, you have a shape that's maybe an inch by an inch and now it's, I don't know, 12 inches by 12 inches and it's too big of a space. Do you ever yeah. run into problems like that? Not yet i feel like i do not yet no because yeah. that's something i've no. run into a fair amount where i have right. a good okay. i think i have a good design and then i blow it up although my paintings are a little bit bigger than yours i'm the one like the one i'm working yeah. on now is 11 by 8 feet but still i mean I, I think even blowing up to six feet it's amazing to me that you can resolve so much on a small scale and have it work on a larger scale. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I have no insights into that. That's okay. If it's working, it's working. And that might be that intuitive <laughs> thing too. You know, it's like, 
you know, maybe, maybe, maybe in your mind, you're thinking in terms of scale as you're designing. I mean, that's highly, well, that's possible too. I do start with the actual size of the work. Um, so my, my digital canvas is, is, you know, to the inch or whatever the size of the surface. Okay. That going to be so you are thinking on. scale right off the bat. I, I am thinking scale. And also I have a bit of a, Maybe it's a rule of thumb, like, I, I really envy painters, nearly all painters, who get to paint faces, you know, slightly smaller than life or life-size. I just look at this with, you know, envy and, and admiration um, for just how beautiful these things are. I work on faces that are, you know, yay big. Mm. Um, because the scale of the composition means I can't go bigger. Or if I did, I just, I would hit let's say an economic problem. <laughs> right, right. They would just become they would they would need to be sold above my pay grade. And it's um and I can't I can't afford to spend three months on a on a painting that is is just inaccessible. Um, right. Right. So there's a part of me that would like to do these things even bigger and maybe at that point I might start to hit some of those problems as well. Um I don't doubt it actually. Um Mm -hmm. it'll this, happen at this point at this scale it'll yeah well hopefully yeah I that'll, it'll, I'll, I'll, i'd love to do bigger ones i, yeah. I, I can't yeah. imagine you're not going to be able to paint even bigger if that's what your desire is at some point and i'm actually kind of surprised the heads are so small because they um yeah they they don't look like they're p tiny little painted heads they feel like complete portraits yeah that surprises that's... me that they're that small i didn't have any, i had no idea yeah, well, that's something that, again, with my final reference, what I normally have, which is a painting, I really, a lot of my time in the studio is looking at what, I, I, the, it's this longing that I oh, love, I'd love it to capture some of that, that the, these, whatever paintings I might have open. And, and normally they're much bigger in terms of the scale of the face or whatever it is that I'm working on. And then I go through this very awkward procedure of trying to capture the, you know, and get the form and everything with these brushes that are frankly quite small. Um, mm. But mm. still try, like, I'm, the, the part of my mind is 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 pretending in some make-believe way that the canvas is bigger and I'm trying to capture some of that um, stuff that you might find in, uh, in, in works where the figures are larger. For a lot of times I see portraits that are really small and they're done the way I would expect, the way a little head is often painted, very simplified. But with yours, I can, it's like this one right here. It, it could easily be life-size. I honestly can't tell the scale of it. That's impressive. Congrats on that. Um, yeah, thank you. Because that, that's, it's nice to hear because it is, it is something I am aware of when I'm painting as a, as one of the effects I'm trying to achieve. So that's, yeah, that's really nice. Thank you. Um, okay. So you, you said that off camera, you had said that you were asked a lot about your process and you are going to show us a painting you're working on right now. I would love to see that now if you yes. want to share your screen yeah. with us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. So this is a digital mock-up so in Photoshop right now. Yes, uh, I'll let's 
let's take it to its um, oh my gosh full composition. So this is what I'm painting at at the moment. It's 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 right next to me. Um, so this is because I mean we've talked about narrative and and you know the kind of source inspiration of some of this stuff. So this is sequentially the sequel to the painting you were just showing, which is called Antigone, the woman holding the baby. Okay. Um, and so it's a, it's another play by the same ancient Greek playwright. Uh, and it's about it's called Oedipus at Colonos. It's the, it, it's about Oedipus, which most people know of from, you know, from whatever. He's a very well fleshed out character in our culture. Um, you know, killed his father, married his mother, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is, yeah, this is the composition as it as it is being worked on. But this is my file. This is uh, the composition from start to finish. Uh, and there's a few little. We can. There's two. I guess two things we we could talk about if you wanted. Um, one is how I manage the design itself when I'm painting. So I have little um, tricks like this white balance. I don't know if you can see that just here. That little black and white uh, rectangle? Yeah. Um, yeah, I noticed you to help. tape those to your canvases too. Yes. Occasionally. Uh, yeah, so I have a few of these. Okay, while you're I, thinking, I I've got a question for yeah. you. These are all yeah, sure. references that you found online? Yes. You've yes. got to be kidding me. No. Um, and it's one of the more uh, annoying parts of my process is searching. Because I, 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 I spend, a, I said these things take months. A lot of that is searching for references. Is this little boy again, right I, here? Is this him like five times? One, two, yeah. three, four, five, maybe six times? Yep. Yeah. And no more kidding. more than that, I think. Yeah. And so and there were there were kind of these justifications for repeating the same figures. Oh, I do that which all come the time. Back in. Oh yeah, right. Well um yeah. yeah, and there's there's kind of you know, there's convenience and there's also kind of cool precedences for why, mm -hmm. you know, why you you might do that, but the interesting thing to note is, is it's not, you can do that. You can do anything, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which can be overwhelming, I guess, uh, at the point where you start saying you can do everything. But uh, this absolute white and absolute dark, I also have taped onto my, the surface of my painting as, you know, my titanium white and my ivory black, just so that when my eyes are flicking between the screen and the surface of my painting, I have it so I, my eye always has it in the corner where I, I, I can see what value that I'm actually painting. Mm -hmm. um, and because what can happen over a day is you get totally just, if you're looking at a reference and then looking back, and I'm sure people find this painting not from screens and not from references like I use, but you, you can start to see values that are not uh are not correct to your s source and if that's your aim it becomes a problem uh and so 
if I'm just staring at the whiteness of the sky, my eye just tends to make it lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter until almost I'm just painting with titanium white, thinking that that's the right thing. Um, and so I have it there just to calibrate my 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 eyes. Hmm. Um, but then I'll also do, before I even start, I break the painting down into four or five values that I want to use throughout the painting. And then even when I'm mixing my colors in the morning, they correspond to those values. So I don't step over the values. I don't go as dark. Um, I don't go too dark and I don't go too light. And all my colors are kind of exist within these strips of values. Um, hmm. So anyway, that's... Uh, so you work I, in the I, middle I range. You don't have any black blacks or white whites in this entire composition, it looks like. In this, I do have black, black. This is pretty close to black. Okay. Just, uh, just in here. This stuff is pretty close to black. But not um, white, whites that I can see. No, but let's say that other one we were looking at of the man on the beach. Yeah. That had white, whites and black, black. So I do, okay. I do have in paintings that have the full tonal range. Um, but... I find creating atmosphere normally require for me requires a, a, a choosing a band within the value range and sticking with that band. Uh, mm. And if you even just a quick cursory glance at my Instagram will tell you that I'm always you know kind of the 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 four the four darks and maybe the mid tone is where most of my stuff sits. But I just there's something delicious in that. Um, Colors in those value ranges for me have a real. Um, that that makes me very satisfied when I'm working with them. Um, so yeah, that's that's the upper end of the design. But I'll knock out, knock out that, and maybe we can look at. So maybe pull so some figures out. I'm kind of interested in what I mean. You didn't. Yeah. Those fo those are all separate people i'm assuming yes but so let somehow me how uh, they all fit together like a perfect puzzle well yeah and this is so there we are um let's let me just start to just randomly knock out some my gosh this is so foreign to me figures uh, get some big ones where are some big ones <laughs> It's going through industry. I've got to remember not to save this. Uh, yeah, please oh, don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but aren't you so just... You can see. The fig you're just turning off what you dropping. can see, though, right? Uh, yes. You're not deleting anything. Yeah. Um, no, my gosh. So, like, and, and so it goes, you know, and I, I spend a lot of time pushing and pulling these elements and arranging and squishing and, and um, create some kind like this, this composition in my mind has this wave like motion. So these figures are they're kind of breaking over the rocks and over this central figure in, in a, in a kind of continuous form. Um, and so to do that, I, you know, I had to cram a lot of f figures into, into one space uh, and to make, yeah, to make them all work with one another, it was very much uh, having to adjust their you know, colors and contrasts and, and um, scale. Yeah, there's some rocks. 
Um, scale, yeah, scale a hundred percent. And so now we're getting pretty close, even though I've, um, there's a lot of figures that I haven't knocked out. Yeah. It can be hundred. I, I, I can have in excess of a hundred different, uh, layers in, in a, in one of these compositions easily. And now we're getting pretty close into the background, uh, which, all these figures I was able to find from um, you know li license free sources, but the background I couldn't. I found this real what I what was to me the perfect background. Uh, and let's just say goodbye to the bodies for a second. And um, and I've modified it a little bit. I put these rocks in there. Um, change them around. Right. But this was a, I purchased this one. Uh, and even there's some kind of sky things that I put in there. And, yeah. And thought goes layer, layer upon layer upon layer, decision upon decision upon decision. And, you know, it takes a couple of seconds to click all the layers off. And in my experience, a long time to put them together. Oh, yeah. I can't even <laughs> um, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the, at, again, the, one of the most labor-intensive part of that process is is the sourcing of the images. Um, and I mean, in in if I if I had no limits on my resources, a part of me might, you know, the easiest thing might be to just get a bunch of people and put them together and um, get them to laps over one another and, and do things like this. But um, I actually find in that searching and that placement and that editing process, something emerges that I'm not confident my mind would be able to conjure up on its own. Oh, I could totally I see that. You might, you might stumble mm. on a pose that you wouldn't have considered doing. Yes. And you're like, oh, this would look really great here. Yes. Yes, and and like and the story comes out. This little scale here, um, I have as much as I possibly can calibrated it to a physical scale. Um, Man, you are very scientific about this. That's impressive. Yeah, well, I was like that. That was my sojourn into another career was in the sciences, um, and kind of being method, you know, kind of being method-based really left an impression on me, like the power of what you can achieve when you follow a methodology. Um, but yeah, so, so I do, I have these kind of fit, these, these analogs, these physical analogs of what um, is, is otherwise kind of all of my digital stuff. And, and I've tweaked it to the point where I'm pretty confident that they, um, that they're close to one another. And so I can, it means I just don't have to think too hard about it uh, when I'm, when I'm working. But let's say to, to go back, we were just talking about, you might find an image that suggests something and you put it in and it really transforms the narrative. So I found this, this shoulder with this hand lifting up this kind of pelt here uh, and this lacerated body underneath. And one of the things with this story is because, you know, famously Oedipus kills his father, marries his mother, 
he doesn't know that this is what he's doing. He's he's fated to do it, and and it's a big crime against the gods. And he's um, he's the sleuth in the first play. He's trying to figure out what has happened. And at the end of the trail of evidence, he says, "Oh my gosh, it's me! I did this." And he blinds himself and goes on this kind of journey to to rid himself of the taint of, of transgressing a divine law, so to speak. And the last play is famous for a, for a speech that Oedipus makes to this township of Colonus, which is where he's arrived at near Athens. And he tells his story as, and basically says, how can I be guilty for something that I wasn't? I, I didn't do, I had no knowledge of it was, it was preordained. I, I just arrived and this stuff was going to happen. Like, can you, can you hold me culpable for these crimes? If I, if I had no idea of what I was doing, of course, it's a really complicated question and people argue both sides of the point, but in this, in this reference, like that, that's in my mind when I'm trying to design something like Oedipus and he's lifting up his, um, whatever vest thing, and he's got the scars. And in my mind, I'm like, he's showing. This is his argument. He's showing people the scars of the knife fight that he had with, it, that ended up killing his father. He's kind of showing his story and convincing his audience that that you know I'm not the guilty person here. Uh, and then you know the cocking of the ear is he's blinded himself and he's. At this point, he's really um, becoming a divine figure within this story. Uh, so the whole idea is he starts as this wretched, broken human, and by the end, he's almost godlike. And knowing this, and enjoying the story and the power of the story and how it affects me, these images, I just found them. And when I put them together, it clicked. I'm like, yep, this is going to work. And then about a month and a half later of just eye-watering minutiae and annoyance, um, you know, the design is there at the, at the, at the tail end. Um, sorry, you probably didn't need a, a, a breakdown of... No, that was really interesting. But, I got uh, a weird question, yeah. though. Mm. This is something I go through in prep. And I'm just curious if you ever deal with a similar thing, but... For some reason, my anxiety level is good and healthy when I'm painting, but when I'm prepping for a painting, I don't feel like I'm working <clears throat> and it's really difficult for me. And if I spend months working on something and not putting paint to canvas, I feel like it's not, it's not make, I'm not working. You know, do you ever yeah. go through that where you're like, I got to get to paint. I've been prepping for months. I got to get to the yeah. painting already and like start to get anxiety build up or anything. A hundred percent. It oh, actually is something that, yeah. And I, and it's got to change because I, it really affects me. It makes me kind of a bit miserable and a bit stressed and, yeah, and same. anxious. And like at the very start of the conversation, I said, like a lot of people, I've got quite a fracturous relationship with Instagram, let's say. And, it's so like in one sense so unhelpful to see just amazing work after amazing work being created, and you're, and I'm, you know, we're sitting here designing something that maybe if I'm lucky in two months I might be working on on a on, on an easel, and it's real. 
I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, you said it, you summed it up perfectly as, as the experience of it. I just, I feel like it's, um, I feel, I, I still feel like it's not work. Uh, or not mm-hmm. a part of the process when, when I think about it, you know, you're an idiot. If you like to think about, um, which is probably a very unhelpful thing to say to yourself. Um, right. It's irrational, it's, but it's real. It's a, yes. It's, it's irrational. It's a, it's a real thing that you feel, but, um, I would love to come to a spot where I feel as much as I know cerebrally that if I, if we didn't sit in these long winded preparatory processes, then we wouldn't be doing the kinds of work that we do do. Right. Uh, no, you have to, you have to do it. You have to do it. And and for some reason, um, I don't know, maybe, you know, you probably have a greater insight into this. You've been doing it for much longer than me, but it's, yeah, I don't know why one is discounted so heavily. Um, I mean, the, ob- the kind of, I guess, obvious answer might be because you know, paint is paint and painting is painting. And at the end of the day, it's a painting. And so that seems the most legitimate use of time. But yeah. Well, I have a theory on that too. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, all I have is theories. I really don't know anything. But um, <laughs> <laughs> join but, the club. Let's just share theories. <laughs> well, I think we live in a world where everything moves so fast. And with social media, like you put, you pretty much hit the nail on the head, at least based on my theory in that it seems like the rest of the world is producing and it's really anxiety inducing inducing if you are not cranking out product regardless of if you're doing what you need to do to eventually get it done it's like the world is moving so fast around us in this day and age it's it doesn't and if it doesn't feel like you're working it's really anxiety inducing um but back in the renaissance you know and and prior to modern technology and and especially social media you know everyone was working on projects that took them years everyone was and everyone knew it right i mean da vinci da vinci hardly ever finished anything and michelangelo (laughs) spends two years working on the chapel and and however many years working on everything else he's doing and everyone is at a slow pace yeah. Right. But when you and I are working, it seems like the whole world is going at lightning speed and we're staring at our preparatory work for months at a time. It's yeah. really challenging. Yeah. I don't know if that's really it. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they were stressed that, out in the Renaissance too. Maybe maybe Michelangelo was like, ah, oh, I got to stop doing cartoons and get to that ceiling. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, may- maybe. I mean, I think they had more existential threats, like the Black Plague or being in- invaded yeah. by another. You know, that's true. They had they had other things to worry about. Something like this. Yeah. We're such babies. Um, yeah. Not not that we haven't just you know lived through a, you know a global pandemic, but um still the Black Death <laughs> that was uh I think to be um yeah that puts it in perspective. That, but yeah, there are these there are these other parts. That, that come with this technological pro, um, progress, which are, are difficult, really difficult. And that, that perception of, of um, you know, whether you're doing enough, whether you're staying, whether, you know, people care enough for you to survive in, in your occupation. Um, like that, having just started, that's a really, um, if I was going to say I've got an, an, a kind of work-related anxiety at the moment is, is, is this going to work? 
um, is one of the constant things. And that feeds into this, oh my God, I, I produce nothing. I produce hardly anything in a year. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, I, I'm saying this with no, doesn't, I'm not going to all of a sudden have a kind of answer to how I deal with this gracefully because I just don't. <laughs> it just kind of, you know, it just under, it just kind of is this undercurrent that, um, kind of permeates most of my painting existence. Um, well, I appreciate your authenticity because honestly, one of the things I, I think that I value most about this podcast is just being able to, I don't know, relate to other artists on a personal level and not just on a craftsmanship level or, you know, a work relationship. I mean, I, I think so many of us deal with certain anxieties that kind of come with the trade. Yes. And, you know, and like a lot of outside of the arts people who are like, to be in a volatile uh, occupation, you know, when you have commitments in life that are important, like you have a family or mortgages or whatever it is, is it becomes a real thing to, you know, can you, can you do this? Can you, can you survive it um, or continue to do it in a way that allows you to live the life that you really want to live, which is ultimately, I, I don't know, there could be painters out there who value painting more than anything else. But for me, that's just not, you know, that's obviously not true. When, when you realize in, in my case that you don't value painting higher than some of the other things in your life, like your commitment to your family or, you know, your, your children and, and, and so forth, you realize that it matters that you, you are able to remain solvent, that you can afford the life that you, you, you want to or are, are living. And so I could, I can, part of my, um, if I have an anxiety around work, it's at the moment, it very much is, can I keep doing this? Because I can, I can easily imagine a scenario where let's say just the wells dry up and no one's buying work. And, you know, that's, that signals the end of, of doing art as a, as an occupation, at least at that time. And I've, I've, I've had that before, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning, the trajectory of my artwork, a lot of it was, I didn't keep going because I just couldn't make a living out of it. Um, so it's a, it's something I could imagine happening again. And that comes down to values. Like, I, yeah, if you, the, the, I could imagine that some people, you know, they would keep painting no matter what. Hmm. Um, well, but, you don't have that luxury when you have a when you have a family. No, no, it would it would, it would require quite a callous move to mm -hmm. disregard <laughs> these other things that tend to happen as your life goes on and you get older. Um, you can accumulate uh, responsibilities that are higher than yourself and. Um, and you're no longer, you can't just do whatever you want. Um, but for the time being, you know, that's it's why I think when people say they're so, um, you know, they feel blessed or whatever the, the term might be that they can do artwork um, as a living because it is, it, it, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. Like if you can make a living out of it and still do the work that you want to do and you're happy doing it, I mean, it's just, 
it's just an amazing privilege in life I mean, to have a job that you're that into and is, um, is services quite a lot of your own personality. Uh, you know, because we, at the end of the day, most artists are these lone wolves who, who spend a lot of time in isolation figuring themselves out and what they want to make creatively. Not mm-hmm. many jobs require that. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I've heard often heard a statistic, apparently not often enough because I don't remember the exact numbers, but that m- like 90% of small businesses fail in the first five years. So yeah. <clears throat> I think that what it is about being an artist isn't isn't being an artist. I don't think it's that. It's being a business owner, being self-employed, having to come up with your own product, be your own salesperson, be your own marketing person, you know, collect all the money, take care of the finance, you know, deal with financial stuff, everything. You're a business owner. And I think that to me, I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, to me, I feel like that's the thing that makes being an artist difficult. It's not making the art, it's running a business. Yeah. You know, it's tough. Yeah. 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 Well said. I mean, that's, you're absolutely right. Uh, even the last year and a half, it's, you know, you end up, you have to deal with insurances and all of these kind of things that you just, yeah, it, it didn't occur to you. And if you've never been a business owner before, like I haven't, then a lot of this comes as a surprise and as something that you're not, you're not yet skilled in. And, um, yeah, and then maybe this next into that brief discussion we had about the change in economic reality for artists over time. You know, you have periods of history where artists live and die by their patrons. Um, and whereas now that's, you know, we, we live in a, we're, we're more commodified now. We're, we're very much a part of a, um, you know, sales-based, cap, like capital-driven um, economic model where, you know, we've got to convince people that we have a, you know, product and that product is, has a market value and that, you know, um, can be sold, uh, and owned and all, all of these things, which, um, yeah, we can just go back into history for examples where that is just not the case. The Sistine Chapel wasn't painted so that it could go on the market, you know, under the hammer of Sotheby's or something. Right. Um, I want to ask you one more question. So what are your plans or what do you see happening in the next few years in your career? Do you have any major goals for your work? Um, well, one of the things I'm going to try doing is entering into some of the competitions. Um, I am really aware that I'm too reliant at this stage on, uh, you know, Instagram and kind of digital forums to, to, to have me be connected. And so I, you know, I, I'm just going to try my hand at, at, at some competitions and to see how the artworks do in that, in that space. But really my main, my main aim is, is just to keep, I'm enthused to do these big works, these big compositions, and and the next few years, it it really is to me about trying to, you know, try to do them and find a pathway where I can continue to do them um, without, like, with what we're just talking about, like have have it be financially 
stable enough for me to, to do it. And I, so I think the, the next few years are going to be the business side of things are going to be uh, quite important. Mm -hmm. um, but artistically, I've got a lot of ideas and a lot of designs in early stages, which I think are going to be really great paintings. And um, yeah, so it's a bit of a bit of a wet blanket response. <laughs> no, that's great. But, uh, that's great. It's I mean, it's yeah. exciting to kind of be open ended on subject matter, you know, and and I think uh, when you've only been at this a year, I mean, it's kind of unbelievable to me that it's only been a year. I honestly thought you were going to say you're at this like 20 years. Um, right. Well, full full time for a year, but entering back into painting in 2000. And, well, that that wreck painting was 2015 to 2018. So. OK, so you've been at it eight years, maybe. Yeah. 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 And that's that's sitting alongside um, kind of a, something bigger and more full time than the art. So it's, right, it's been right. one year full full time. Right. Yeah. Well, nonetheless, it's still impressive. I mean, you've accomplished, I think you've accomplished a lot. You're telling me you're only doing a couple paintings a year and that's not much, but these paintings are not just little studies just little plein air sketches or just little, you know, quick still lifes or quick portraits. These are complex compositions and uh, it should take a long time. But I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't predict, but you know, I've interviewed so many successful painters on this and I would be, I would be shocked if you didn't, um, 10 years from now, not only are you still painting, but have an exceptional career behind you. So, and in front and ahead of you. Yeah. Thanks Jeff. That's, um, yeah, I, I, I hope it turns out that you're right. <laughs> yeah, me too, but it will. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. can't guarantee it, <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, 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 man, yeah. I put my That's money right. on I, it. I won't hold you to it. Yeah. <laughs> I put my money on it. Hey, well, thanks a lot for, for uh, doing this podcast. It was great chatting with you. Great getting to know you. I really appreciate it. Same Jeff. Thanks for the opportunity. And it's, yeah, it's just been great to talk to, um, yeah, an artist of your caliber. It's wonderful. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.